Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Chris. And before this episode, I just wanted to say thank you so much for clicking this podcast. It really does mean a lot to me because when I first started it, I didn't even think that it would get listened to by one person. So the fact that you clicked it and are about to listen to it, it really does mean a lot to me. And if you find any value from this episode, please share it or reach out to me. Let me know what you think. And I just want to say thank you. I feel so grateful. So hope you enjoy the podcast episode. Thank you. What's going on, everybody? This is Chris, and you're listening to another episode of The Inspiration Station. This is a podcast where we talk to normal, everyday people, just like you and me, who are doing what they love, accomplishing their goals, or in the process of doing so. Today, we're talking to Jeremy Hodges. Jeremy is a 3D technical character artist for Warner Brothers Avalanche Software. He has spent a lot of his life pursuing games and animation. Jeremy, what's up? Hey, how's it going? Good, man, good. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself. A little bit about me. Um, yeah, so like Chris was saying, I'm a 3D character technical artist. For what, is that, what does that mean? Uh, it's a very interesting and difficult thing to define. Um, as the game industry has moved so much to such a technical like uh, area, uh, artists are constantly being faced with uh, using tools that are a lot more technical now to get their work done. Uh, so one of my jobs is really to jump in there and help artists uh, move things through the pipeline easier without getting them bogged down by, you know, monotony. So like writing scripts, uh, just in general, optimizing things and just working with a lot of the technical softwares, whatnot. All right. So you work, but you work in, in gaming, right? Yes. That's, so that's pretty much what it is. Yeah. Like you work in gaming, but there's a lot to it, to it. There's many, <laughs> aspects, especially depending if you're indie, double A, triple A. Boom. Yeah. There we go. And we'll get into it, but, um, yeah. I want to know, well, tell, tell me a little bit more about you, though. Like, what, what what personal stuff, like, what kind of stuff are you into? What kind of music do you like? Jeremy's a big guitarist. I, yes, I played a lot of a lot of music growing up, a mm-hmm. lot of guitar. I went to a performing arts school, studied classical guitar and jazz and yeah. composition. Uh, I love Coheed and Cambria. Uh, yeah. I always play Even their of, newer stuff? Even their newer stuff. Really? I, I, had, I stopped after No World for Tomorrow. I was, that's old stuff now. I know, I know. I'm like, Unheavenly Creatures. I, I saw them live, uh... Right before COVID, really? last time they were here, yeah, okay. something like it was awesome. They did amazing. Uh, yeah, so I really like Coheed. I grew up playing a lot of uh, video game music on guitar, Guilty Gear songs. Yeah, you know, those. Jeremy actually taught me how to learn how to play guitar. Yeah, and we'll talk about that story in a second. Oh, for but. sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so that's like music wise, game wise. I try to be all over the place. Um, Favorite game ever. Uh, I'm a huge Fire Emblem fan. I really oh, like Fire really? Emblem 9. Okay. So I like a lot of the JRPGs, Fire Emblems, Final Fantasies. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm all over the place with games too. I am I constantly try to challenge myself to try new games all the time. But it gets hard, honestly. Yeah. The older you get, it's so hard to pick <laughs> up a new game and actually take it seriously. Like, I can barely get into Cyberpunk right now. I want to like it, but I just don't have the time for it or the patience. Yeah. yeah. Did you see that they're doing refunds now? Yeah. For them? That's wild. Yeah, I know. Has it's... it been glitchy with you? Uh, Yes, it has. I was oh, trying to man. jump off a crate and I was just getting killed and there's no one around me. It was like a two foot crate. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go do something else. I'll wait for them to patch this. And like, oh I get gosh. it. It's so hard to make games. Glitches happen all the time. Yeah. But yeah. Dang, but 10 years though, like in the making, you think that should have been worked out yeah it's it's hard to say that's like a whole nother podcast a whole yeah other time. <laughs> uh, yeah i don't want to shit on cd project Red too much <laughs> i might work there someday but it's we'll hard see. it's hard i don't get to poland 
But yeah, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard for sure. Um, so I met Jeremy in seventh grade. Seventh grade. We had five classes together out of seven. Yeah, English class. Was yeah, a big one. and it was so funny because there was like one class. You know, we had class together. Like I didn't think anything, and then I was like. Second class, we had it together, and I was like, what the heck? And yeah, third right? class, it was like, dude, this kid's following me. <laughs> Fourth class, I was like, okay, stop it, you know? like hey, You just showed up at my house one day with your guitar, and that's when we were friends. Well, okay, so um, it was our last period together. Fifth period with... Uh, was that TLC or whatever? No, with uh, it was the drawing class. Oh, yeah. And I was drawing Francis? like... Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was drawing uh, like some Sora thing from yeah, Kingdom Hearts. Kingdom Hearts. And yeah, I don't know what happened, but we just started talking and I know you were like, kind of like, didn't want to talk to anybody or maybe just me or, or I don't I know. I was just shy in general. And shy you guy. kept to yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't know what happened. I, we were just sitting next to each other and we just started drawing cause that was the assignment. And I don't know. We just started talking drawing. ever since then. I think. I'm sure if you're drawing Sora, that probably, uh, yeah. You know, yeah. Actually, I think I have my, my, um, I actually want to push pause and yeah. grab it real quick and show you. Yeah, go for it. Um, okay, give me two seconds. I'm going to actually step outside. Hold on. That's right here. Okay, so I'm going to show you Just some Sora thing? Some old no, thing? No. So one of the assignments, I know I'm probably dragging on this, but like one of the assignments was bring a picture to class. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right? I remember that. And I drew Jack and Daxter. Oh, but it was just But it was just Jack. It was just Jack. First. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I did Final Fantasy Seven. I yeah. did the cover to Advent Children. And then I, and then another one I draw, I drew Kid Boo from Dragon Ball Z. Okay. And I let some kid borrow it and he never brought it back, so that was whack. Yeah. But anyways, that's how me and Jeremy met. Yeah. <laughs> video game drawing yeah. art stuff. Um, but I do have it. I don't know where it's at. I want to show you after the podcast. Yeah, so. for sure. Um, all right. Anyways, let's, let's go on. Um, so tell me how you grew up, Jeremy. Uh, yeah. So I grew up... Um, it, so, yeah. I grew up with a computer always in my room. And I think that's <laughs> important to know. So I had a computer in my room since I remember. I had a Game Boy. I grew up playing... Pokemon and Warcraft and stuff and uh games were just kind of a thing for me and uh like I I'll get into this a little bit but my my parents ended up divorcing around second grade and then my dad uh committed suicide in fourth grade so I had a single mom raising four kids uh which meant that me being alone in my room was common for me but in a good way, like you, you almost hear that and you think like I'm being neglected, but yeah. like I liked it and it was also easier on my mom. And so like, mm. uh, I really kind of got sheltered and like, I found a love, uh, for like virtual worlds and just really enjoyed being there. Um, but yeah, so, so by the time I was even in second grade before stuff even happened with my parents, I'd already kind of really thought like, I want to make games or I want to do something with 3d like i was obsessed with 3d since mm. second grade um how what how did you know that uh i just lived in it so much you know like uh, oh like you were playing games i was playing already? games a lot yeah oh, so okay. like one huge impactful game which is funny you kind of brought it up sora but uh 
Kingdom Hearts was huge for me like, mm. back in 2002. I mean, a lot of... I'm sure Isn't that when kids, it came out? Yeah, it was about yeah. 2002. Yeah. So that was like after my parents had divorced and like I would go over to my dad's and he bought me a PlayStation 2 and I had Kingdom Hearts, you know, and it was just like living in that world uh, as a kid was so fun and I just found that so interesting. Mm. Probably one of the reasons why I got into JRPGs was that mm. game. Uh, brilliant move on uh, Tetsuya Nomura. I'll give him that for sure. Uh <laughs> But yeah, so I really wanted to do it, and it's just like, how do you do it, right? So mm. aside from playing games growing up, uh, I would jump into video game editors, so Warcraft 2 editor, Warcraft 3 editor. I was trying to make maps. I was trying to do anything in 3D that was yeah. like, creative, you know? So even jumping into like MS Paint and like painting a picture and saving it out and then like altering the picture and saving it out again and creating frames, frame-by-frame frame animation, mm. and you click really fast, and you can watch the, like your frames oh, animate. Yeah. Like back in the day, like that's <laughs> like how you did book? it. Like a flipbook. Yeah, it's like a flipbook. So on, if you on your computer. Yeah, if you open up the folder viewer, you can click through them really fast, and you can see the animation. But oh, it's not actually. actually put together. You're just like <laughs> yeah. looking at frames move really fast. Yeah, which is animation. But uh, so I was even doing that back then, you know. Um, so yeah, like I knew I wanted to get into that. So uh, middle school is kind of a lull in the sense that I, you know, started learning music and really mm. enjoying music, but. Like, I had, like, my great-uncle who was really trying to get me into music, and I liked it, but I knew it wasn't quite my passion, and so it's, my life's been a huge battle between music and animation, and, like, what do I want to pursue? Um, and that kind of leads me to high school, where I went to, it's so confusing, I went to the Salt Lake School for the Performing Arts, which was attached to Highland High School, which also provided the Career and Technical Center. So I technically had three high schools, three different report cards. I was always on a bus between schools uh, at SPA, as the Salt Lake School for the Performing Arts. I was studying classical guitar, music composition, jazz improvisation, and really pursuing music. Um, I liked it a lot. I don't know if I was necessarily amazing at guitar, but uh, I, found some, I found some passion in composition for sure. Um, and then uh, at the Career and Technical Center is where I started learning animation. So in high school, my junior year, which was awesome. What year was that? Uh, that was 2008, I believe. No, that was 2010. That was 2010. Oh, your junior year? Yeah. Oh, no, you're, yeah, two, fall of 2010. Mm. So 2010 okay. to 2011. So um, that's where I first opened up Autodesk Maya, which is kind of the industry standard for creating 3D models. Um, and that was like fucking revealing like the treasure magic like that was what you needed like doing all the things that you were doing before i live in that program every single day <laughs> right now um yeah so the literally the program that i took a high school class in is the program yeah. i use every day for like eight hours a day right now <laughs> so it's crazy like i totally support those like career classes for high school i really wish they offered more i had got so lucky that i got into that class it was just yeah. such a random thing like the i wish the counselors were just smarter back in high school and they would just yeah. get you the resources easier um because i stumbled across that and like there's so many places in my life where i kind of stumbled across the exact thing that i needed mm -hmm. uh, and i'll get into it more but um yeah so i started doing that and like, I knew I loved it. It was hard as hell. Like, it's so demoralizing. And you're, But you're like, this is what I wanted to do. Like, I have to stick with it, you know? Um, so I started doing that, and I was in it for just a couple months when my, my teacher was talking about this Skills USA competition for, like, animation, which is this thing where uh, a lot of schools across the whole U.S. all compete uh, at a regional level, a state level, and then a national level. And so I was like, 
I'll try. Like, he just pushed everybody to try because it was just the regional level. It was just, mm. like, our district and I think GTI maybe, uh, Granite Technical Institute. Mm. Um, and so I went to that, and I remember being so sick to my stomach, and it was, like, early morning, and I was on a bus, and I was, like, headed to the competition. I think it was out in, like, Harriman or something like that. Mm. And I was like, I'm, I'm just doing this just to do this. It doesn't matter if I win, if I lose. Just, like, do it just to, like, push yourself, you know? Like, do something. If you really love this, you're going to do anything to, like be a part of the community. Uh, and I ended up taking third place. I got a bronze medal in my first animation competition after being in Maya for two months. Dang. So that was awesome. So what did you have to do? Did uh, you have so, to make something there? Yeah. So you, I got partnered up with some random person and we had eight hours to just make an animation. They gave us mm -hmm. like a prompt. Uh, they gave us a Willy Wonka snippet, like some clip from Willy Wonka. And we just had to animate to it. You could do anything you wanted, but you had to use this animation or this, uh, like audio snippet. Okay. Uh, barely remember what I, I made, but <laughs> I remember it was not a complete pile of shit. Like it w worked, right? Like yeah. it showed that I could animate to an audio track and turn it into a movie and hand it in and within the time period. Uh, so that was cool. <laughs> so I kept doing animation and then because I did that, I qualified for the state competition. So I did the state. Uh, so the state was, the prompt was to do a Rube Goldberg machine. I could actually show you this animation. I still have it. Okay. Uh, I took first place Yo, in state. That's uh, cool. So that was awesome, which meant that I got to, or I qualified to go to Kansas City for the national competition. And this was at the time that, like, I was running for, uh, my high school president for senior year. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, like... I, I did it like I was doing it, but I wasn't like that into it. So I lost my president, uh, like running, whatever. Like I lost that to someone else the same day that I won my animation, uh, first place in state. And it was like, I don't care. Like, this is what I cared about. Like I yeah. taking first place in state meant way more to me, uh, as a high school student. So yeah, it was, That's pretty bad it ass. was just another like thing to, you know, uh, really show me what I wanted to do in life, you know, reiterate that idea that this is what I want to do. Um, so yeah, I went to Kansas city later on, did animation there. I didn't do amazing in nationals. I had a lot to learn, <laughs> but also I don't regret it. It was an awesome opportunity. I got to talk to people from Autodesk and whatnot. Um, but yeah, my high school was just awesome. It was just really getting me what I needed. Uh, every year we went out to California because, uh, one, my teacher was awesome and he really did care. Um, but he wanted us to really view this as a career that we could do, right? Mm -hmm. So we went and we toured CalArts for college, USC for college. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with CalArts. Uh, mm -hmm. CalArts was basically made, and I hope I don't butcher this, it's basically made by Walt Disney to make animators for Disney Studios. Like a lot of Disney Studios were there. Eric Disney animators came from CalArts. So I toured CalArts, which is where all like the legends came from. Um, and saw USC. I wasn't that impressed with USC, but I won't get into that. <laughs> um, and then we went and we toured DreamWorks. They were so oh. awesome. Uh, a lot of the guys there I got to see, uh, I don't remember his whole name, but Nikolai, who's the guy who designed all the dragons and how to train your dragon. He like showed us all That's his work, cool. every single little scale on a dragon that he drew and like showed us like fine detail. I was like, holy crap, these guys are awesome. I loved DreamWorks. They were so cool. We went and viewed Disney's, uh, Disney's Animation Studios uh, when they were 
I think they had just finished Tangled. I think they were actually working on Frozen at the time. Oh, I was man. like, what's that in the background? Like, what's Frozen? Like, <laughs> that's not going to be any good. That won't be important <laughs> or relevant to the world. Like, they should just let that go, yeah. you know? Just let, let that go. Um, but we got to have dinner with the the daughter who I believe her dad was the director of Tangled. And she was the one who did all of the artwork inside of Rapunzel's tower in the movie. Mm. So it was awesome just to hear, like from these people that are like background legends, you know, the people you don't hear about it. Uh, see, they make it Um, work. Yeah, they do. So, I mean, it was, it was stuff like that where I was already looking at colleges and doing these competitions. Senior year was the same thing where like I went to regionals and made a cool pinball machine animation and took first and state. I actually only got second in, but I really loved my animation. I know who went to the uh, national competition. I was super happy for them. They did a great job. Um, but it was more about like getting into the community and really pushing yeah. myself. Um, we also, me and uh, one of the guys who I found that I really worked well with, uh, we also did an animation for the high school film festival that we took first with that. So like you can see, we were constantly, like I was constantly working towards this. This wasn't just like a, this is a class. It was like, I was already looking at it like seriously, you know? Yeah. Um, and then it came to that point where it's like, cool, high school's almost over, where do I go for college, right? So, like, I was looking yeah. at CalArts, but then my teacher was also talking a lot about BYU, and BYU's phenomenal, but I'm not Mormon. You can still go if you're not Mormon, but it just felt weird to me, and I applied to CalArts, but CalArts is very traditional 2D, so I didn't get in, which I was like, I, that's probably a good thing for me not yeah. to go to CalArts. It's not what I really want to do. Um, and it was also this big fight between like animations and games. So this whole time I've been talking, I've only been studying animations. I really don't know that much with games. Uh, I took like a Python class or not Python. I wish it was Python. Oh, it was Java. Um, and I'd done a lot of HTML. So I'd done yeah. some like programming, but HTML is nowhere near actual real programming for games. But, um, but yeah, so it was like, where do I go for college? And like, I had already gotten accepted at the U, but like no one really talked about the U's program. So it's like, yeah, great. Let's go to the university of Utah and figure this out. Like what's going to happen with college. Um, so I remember like the first, uh, the first day of college, whatever that like preview day where you go and you just check out the classes. Mm -hmm. I went up with, uh, Ali Castillo. Oh yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Ali. What's up? Yeah. What up Ali? Uh, (laughs) so, uh, I'm going to jump back to that, but in back in high school real fast, one of the projects that we did was an architecture project where we basically had to go get a shed, uh, like blueprint and make it in Maya to the oh, yeah, yeah. like actual measurements. So like I was kind of playing around with architecture in a sense in 3d, like it was AutoCAD or something like that, or Rhino, some of the programs people use. Yeah. Uh, and so I was already interested in architecture and Ali was also interested in architecture. So we were both kind of looking at that the first day. And I was interested, um, and then also I saw, like, this EAE program. I was like, what's EAE? Like, I asked somebody, and they're like, oh, if you don't know what EAE is, it's not for you. And I was like, oh, okay, like, I'm just fucking asking. But, okay, <laughs> yeah, I, okay. I won't get EAE, oh my the secret club for members, whatever. <laughs> like, I'll look at architecture, or, like, I knew they had a film program that was, there was some sort of animation thing there, and I was mm-hmm. like... Dang, like I could go an architecture route, I guess, because it's I've had some interest in it, or I could look at this film program, whatever. So I went into the film program uh, there for a little bit and like kind of looked at some of the classes, and I saw there's some animation classes that were 
like a, a couple of them clearly were in Maya and I was like, Oh, there's Maya. Right. That's yeah. obviously that's where I go is Maya. Let's learn Maya on a collegiate level now. Um, uh, later found out EAE stands for entertainment arts and engineering, which was the beginning foundation for their video game program. Uh, there's this reoccurring thing in my life where I find something, I ask somebody about it. They tell me the complete wrong thing about it. And then I find <laughs> it later and I find out it's the right thing. Uh, same thing happened in high school. EA came and uh, talked to us. Yeah. Uh, and their words out of their mouth was, don't try to be a character artist. You'll never get a job in character art in the industry, be an environment artist. Uh, Warner Brothers is my very first AAA company. And I'm a character artist. <laughs> so, yeah, just another one of those things where it's like, take everything people say with a grain of salt. Because, yeah, yeah sometimes they really don't know what they're talking about. Um, but, yeah, so I was taking these uh, classes, these film classes, which were just draining me. I hated freshman year of college. It was the worst. I wasn't doing what I wanted. I wasn't in Maya. Uh, it just felt wrong. I was so close to dropping out. Really? Yeah, it was the worst. I mean, I get that Citizen Kane is cool, but, like, fucking, I'm here to make games, not look at black and white movies. Like, it's not... Yeah. I understand the relevance of it, but in a game aspect, I want to be focused on making those, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so sophomore year hit, and I finally took the like 3600 character modeling class the first class that actually had eae at the end of it that i was like okay this is a maya class this is what i had like got through freshman year to do and i met uh my professor ryan bound who i to this day owe so much to uh he's an amazing professor um yeah so we start doing this character modeling class and he mentions that there is a class he's trying to get going like Everything is such in shambles. Like, nothing's put together yet in EAE, really. And he's talking about this environment art class that has four students and, like, six TAs. Like, a, a college-level class that has four students in it. And he's like, hey, if anyone is interested in taking this class, like, yeah. please come take it or else this might not be a class anymore, you know? Um, so I kind of talked to him afterwards. and was like, hey, I've been doing Maya for a while. I don't know how, like, intense this is. Uh, this new class, but I'll come check it out if that's fine. He's like, just come. Like, I just need bodies, right? Mm-hmm. So I show up, and I'm kind of seeing these guys, and a couple of them have been in it for a while. Um, but I was like, I'll take this class. We'll see where it goes, whatnot. Um, and, like, right off the bat, I realized we're going to use UDK, the Unreal Developmental Kit, which is essentially Unreal Engine 3, uh, which, like, Gears of War was made in and stuff like that, Damn. kind of. Uh, so we're going to make environment environments in maya and get them to udk as a class and i'm like what the fuck this is a class like (laughs) where has this been jesus christ right so like uh you know i have no confidence like i i'd done all those animation classes but i never worked in like unreal or any of this stuff um but i i showed my professor all like the the films i had made like all my animation competition stuff and so he's like oh like this guy's been doing stuff for a while you know like he He's really into this. Um, And then, yeah, I just basically got thrown into the deep end. I remember the week before fall break, he just went hard on us. He was like, uh, told us everything about texturing in the span of like a class period, like what uh, defuse maps are, normal maps and specular maps and like all this stuff. I was like, I don't know what he's talking about, but I have all of next week, which is fall break to figure it out. Right. 
And so that's what I did my fall break of my sophomore year was figure out what the hell my professor just talked to me about. Mm. Cause it was literally like, he just threw me in the ocean and I didn't know how to swim. Uh, so I had to get some floaties and figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So I came back from that. Awesome. I, my, we, we did two things in that class. We started off by one, he was introducing us to the poly count community, which is a big community for 3d artists, uh, where they just mm. posted their stuff. Um, and that was it. So it wasn't just about learning the classes and the tools, but also learning the community and the resources. Right. Um, and so polycount was awesome. So he had us do a polycount challenge, which is where somebody somewhere, uh, just posts this, uh, image every month and says, make this environment. And like anybody who wants to can compete in this challenge. Uh, it's like goodwill hunting or what? Yeah. Kind you just of, figure it out. Yeah. You just figure it out. So, <laughs> uh, so it's some bar scene from, something so my teacher taught us based off of a challenge that was already on a site right um so we could post at the end so it wasn't just like we were showing our teacher we were going to turn this into a poly count with all these other actual 3d artists like industry people go on this site um yeah so this was awesome because he taught us how to block things out and how to start using the tools um i did okay and then the next half of the class, uh, he just said, go get a concept artist and or concept and start making that. And so I picked a, this cathedral from Guilty Gear. As you know, I love Guilty Gear. Yeah. Uh, so I started making this cathedral and I started really kicking butt at it. Like this was where I was like, oh, this is awesome. I like environment art. Like I could see myself doing environment art. Um, so yeah, I, I was doing that for a long time and started to get confidence and then started to meet the people uh, around me. And then that turned into taking hard surface modeling classes and texture classes. And I remember, uh, <laughs> it's, it's one of the funniest things. When you really love something and you see other people doing it and they're really good at it too, you almost like get jealous in a way or like you're like, oh man, should I hate that person? Like, how should I view this other person who's also really good, you know? Uh, and I did a good job at like, saying, no, like, put that aside, none of that matters, like, check your ego at the door, and I went and, uh, I noticed that this guy was super good, and I started sitting by him, uh, and we, we slowly started becoming friends, uh, spoiler alert, I sit right next to him every day at work now, at WP, <laughs> so, yeah, this was my sophomore Does he year. know that? Does he yeah, know that? Oh, yeah. we're, <laughs> we're really good friends, we're basically best friends, we hang out all the time. But yeah, we, uh, I mean, he's super good. He's so skilled at what he does. Um, but it's literally one of those things that like sophomore year, which was 2013, 2014, whatever. Mm. And I work with him now in 2020, like, uh, professionally. Um, and I saw this guy every day for the rest of college and master's program. So this was my undergrad where I was doing uh, film EAE, uh, it was probably in texturing class or hard surface modeling that I met him. Uh, and yeah, so, so I was kind of going through these classes, getting to know the people, building relationships, uh, taking critique and, uh, the next year hits. And this whole time I'm working at Kohl's, which I think is important mm-hmm. to like point out, like, yeah, I visited you once. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, I work in the back over here. Yeah. yeah I remember walking Just around working on like the shoes yeah. department. Yeah. And, like, yeah. The, you know, home <laughs> goods department, whatever. And, you just show up to work every day and you're just like, this is the worst. Like, mm. I feel like crap here. I'm so much better than this. I'm putting all this time into this thing that I hope is a career one day. But how do you get there? You know, how do you actually get to that career? Um, 
And I just remember like opening up cash registers at like 4 a.m. in the morning, just thinking like, it's like Christmas, you know, and so you have to be there super early and just thinking like, I, I could be giving so much to like any studio or anything that would let me just be in Maya right now, you know, like even though I was getting paid seven twenty five an hour, like just let me be in Maya. Like I'm so yeah. sick of doing this stuff that doesn't matter, like rotating shoe boxes. So they're at a 90 degree angle. Like that's what I'm spending my time doing. Like I could be, in Maya doing something legitimate that I've been studying. Um, and finally one day, uh, Ryan, my professor called me up and was like, Hey, uh, would you be interested in modeling stuff for flight simulators? I was like a job in Maya. Like, yes, yeah. <laughs> like, anything is better than Kohl's. You know? <laughs> dude, those so shoes like, needed yeah, you, dude. Fuck those shoes, dude. <laughs> like I, I want to be in Maya. So um yeah so he calls me up he says there's only two spots i have three people but you should come and just check it out and so we went and toured and i remember just yet again being being there and thinking like you know maybe i should just give this to this other guy like i feel bad if like one of us doesn't get it like who should get it we're kind of talking to people and seeing what they do you know like i don't have confidence back then you know like i've been doing this for a long time but i was still nervous um, this is the real deal. You're going to get yeah, paid this, to this do was what, a real this, paid thing. I didn't know what yeah. the money was like, but I was like, it doesn't matter. I don't care if I'm maybe doing it for like seven twenty five. you know? I mean, Kohl's wasn't paying me much more than that anyways, so <laughs> fuck it, right? Yeah. Um, but I actually ended up really hitting it off with them, and uh, I got the job. Uh, so it was a military and commercial flight simulation, simulation company called Rockwell Collins. Um, and boy, was I so nervous every day for that yeah. to be like, okay, I'm modeling stuff for an actual thing now. Like, yeah. let's, let's do this. It wasn't quite games, but it was so close to games yeah. uh, and it was a paycheck, right? It was mm. like twice the money I was making at Kohl's and they were uh, paying for my schooling even. So it was oh, already wow. more money and they were paying for my tuition. It's like, this is incredible. Like leaving Kohl's and like telling my boss <laughs> that is like, oh, it was so good. Uh, yeah, it was one of the best feelings ever to just leave Coles. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So I, I start working here. Uh, I start modeling, uh, what year was this? This was 2014. I want to say the fall of 2014. That I think sense. that sounds right. Yeah. yeah I, I remember. Yeah. That sounds about right. It was my junior year of college. So it was mm -hmm. like fall of 2014. Yeah. This, this was an internship. This was an internship. It was a paid internship that was partnered with the University of Utah. It was really cool, actually, because it was one of those things where it was very symbiotic on all three fronts. So there was Rockwell, there was the U, and there was us. And Rockwell found that they could have us model things for cheaper than crazy industry professionals, which makes sense because these models weren't super complex. Um, so we were cheaper. The University of Utah got money out of it. And we also got our tuition paid and we got paid. So literally all three people benefited from this deal. That's cool. Which is way cool. Uh, it's not very often that everybody, you know, benefits. So, um, yeah, my first model was the CH-53 Sikorsky Sea Stallion model. I still remember it. I remember all the areas I messed up on it. <laughs> I remember everything I did wrong and all the lessons I had to learn. Uh, and I... Did good, but I messed up a lot along the way, and I... But did they know that yeah, you were going they, to... they knew like... that, and my boss was awesome. Uh, my boss was named Chris, and he was super patient, 
he knew we weren't going to get it right the first time. And he knew there was going to be a lot of corrections and he basically just started training me. Right. So, uh, and the, the other thing that I really learned is like, don't hide things. Like don't hide things and don't make excuses for things. Like if you messed up on it, like just fix it. Right. Um, I remember actually, I have a really good story real quick. Yeah, go for it. I'm not going to say his name, but I knew, I know you'll know who I'm talking about. I remember when we first learned how to start driving, you and me and this other person, like we were like, you know, all in high school, we were like about to start taking our tests or whatever. And then my, our friend was like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to cheat on the test. And then I remember you, you were like, yeah, why? Yeah. You were like, (laughs) why you need to learn how to drive? (laughs) Why are you going to cheat on the test? Stupidest thing. (laughs) But I just was like, what the heck? That is the craziest (laughs) thing ever. But yeah, I just wanted to put that in there. So yeah, don't lie. Like you need to, you need that. It's actual (laughs) things. It's going to benefit you more in the long run. If you just like learn how to get it right. You know? Um, so yeah, Rockwell, Rockwell is huge. And I was there for the rest of my undergrad and my master's program. Right. So my master's program, I was doing Rockwell, uh, my capstone project, which is the last thing you do, uh, in the program. And I should actually get into that real fast. So I've been telling you about this EAE program and how not put together it was. So one of the professors actually came to me and the guy that I sat by that I was talking about earlier, his, his name's Isaac. Uh, he came to us and a couple other people and, said, hey, we're going to do something with you guys if you are willing to do it, which is called a Bachelor of University Studies. So we're basically going to say, hey, the major that's in place right now is not good. It's not set up correctly. This is like collectively what we think should be the major. So normally Mm -hmm. when you do a BUS, you could do a BUS for anything uh, that you want. You just have to like create your own course and present it in front of people and get it approved. So because there were so many of us doing it, we kind of made our own degree together and presented it in front of a board. And the board was like, oh, this seems legitimate. Okay, like we wrote why we're doing it, like what career we were trying to get out of it, the classes that we were needed to take. Um, And that actually ended up being the foundation for what the new EAE program is now, is the BUS degree that we created back then. Uh, And so it was because of us students, why the U's undergrad program is really put together now. so yeah, that was huge. So one of the last things you do in uh, EAE or what we did with the BUS was a capstone project, which is here's one year, here's a collective group of like uh, students and you break off into teams and you make a game and you cannot graduate unless you get this game published. You can't just make the game and like play it. And, like you got to get it on Steam or like on a console or like on iOS or Android. Uh, so we, I got on a game uh, surprisingly with a programmer that I went to high school with and he and I, uh, back in high school, we did play around with unity a little bit and kind of make games. And I, I should point that out, uh, throughout all of college, I was making like a side project game with this guy in unity just on my free time, like Fridays and Saturdays, like late at night in the lab, we were just making a game. So we already had a lot of synergy and uh, it's around the time that Unreal 4 came out, and I was like, I jumped on Unreal 4 instantly. I was learning it like, <laughs> right away, back when it used to cost money to own. Um, and so I convinced him to move into Unreal 4, which meant that he had to learn C++, which was a big step and still is for a lot of undergraduate programmers, like jumping from C Sharp to C++. Um, but he was super into it. 
Um, spoiler alert, uh, every game that I've done as a professional has been in Unreal 4, so <laughs> good thing I jumped on it when I did. Yeah, for real. Um, like, I was even making tutorials for Unreal 4 that Epic Games, the people who make it, started realizing, and they they start, they still send me emails. I got one the other day where people can post on their forums, and anybody who's related to, like, that issue, they'll send them an email to see if, it, like, that person can come help. And I get those all the time still, where I, like, go and I'll help some people on the forums. Um, or, like, some of my beginning tutorials that I did on YouTube, I still get comments on, and they're yeah. like, uh, this is super outdated, because it was, like, Unroll 4.01 or some, some shit, and yeah. now we're in 4.26, and they're like, I think it's different now. And it's like, yeah, you're... 26 versions different oh, idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah i should probably just go and update that one day it's just funny it pulls up all the time in people's uh searches um <laughs> but yeah so i started making this game uh it's called fitting in we were doing an android ios game i mean uh this guy uh first legitimate game i published yeah um it was awesome it was not that great of a game, but it was, we learned a shit ton from it. We did not know about source control. Uh, we were literally passing around a flash drive that had the game on it and people would just plug their shit into the game, which is horrendous. <laughs> if you talk to any game developer, they would, they'd probably cringe and die if they heard that we made a whole mobile game on a flash drive, uh, <laughs> but we made it work. It was nuts. Um, and yet again, with competitions, like throughout all my undergrad too, I was doing, mm. Uh, I was sending things to competitions. We were making games on the side. Um, so, like, I've always been doing competitions, basically, is what I'm getting at. Uh, but I graduated from that, and then it was it was obvious to me that I should go to the Masters. Because I was working at Rockwell, and I was starting to be, like, getting really good at it. And my boss really liked me. I was fast. Uh, I was doing great work. Uh, By this time, you have everything down now. Yeah, to a degree. I mean, I'm still I'm still learning some things, and they're still learning things. Like, we started doing uh, ships, and ships hadn't been done as much, and we're trying to find out new ship ways of doing things. And they're in a different program that I'm using because they've been using something called Open Flight Creator, and I'm using Maya. And the whole, their whole thing was like, everybody's using Maya. Maya is the industry standard. We're using old dated tech. We have to find a way that we can get Maya to work with our tech. Mm-hmm. So I also worked with that pipeline a lot to see oh, okay. how can we transfer things to them. Um, and also just trying to help their texturing programs and uh, play around with more than just Photoshop because Photoshop is, was kind of the standard for texturing. So we started using uh, Quixel uh, and Substance Painter. And this was the time that uh, physical-based rendering became a thing. You see physical-based rendering now. Uh, it was really the big jump in material definition between kind of uh, the PlayStation 3 and the PlayStation 4. Did you ever play like the Dragon Ages or anything? Mm-mm. No. Um, how about like the Kingdom Hearts? So, you played Kingdom Hearts three at least. No, I haven't you because haven't? I haven't beat the other ones yet. I'm oh, like really? saving it. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to think. What PS4 games have you played? Just like PS4 or this like one? yeah, any any of that. Uh, 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 let's pull them out right here. Okay, let's do it. I have Call of Duty, Modern Call Warfare. Sure, Call of Duty probably FIFA. works. FIFA. I'm not FIFA doesn't work. Spider Man. Spider Man's Destiny. Demo. Yeah, sure, any of those. So, uh, one of the big jumps is physical-based rendering, which allowed people to start looking at uh, metallic channels different. Like, well, that's one of the main things. So, like, the metalness of how things used to look, where it was, like, 
flat and kind of painted. It yeah, like, like kind of like in Halo? Yeah, is like it, Halo. That's how I the, picture Halo's it. Halo is perfect. Halo is yeah. a, a perfect jump. You, how, like, it looked like it was flat, and then all of a sudden you do this jump, and, like, it's actually reflecting. It looks like metal. It's, like... Yeah. It's physically based, and it's rendering correctly like metal should. Have you ever seen Scooby-Doo? Uh, it depends on which Scooby-Doo. The first, the, like, the first ones, the first generation. Yeah. I, I, is that how, kind of what you're talking about? Like, when, like, they're walking right in the, in the hallway or whatever... And it's like 2D, right? Yeah. And like they're walking down a hallway and they're like, oh, I wonder where the guy's at. And like he's literally sticking out because like everything yeah. else is flat. Yeah. But right? he's like like Actually very 3D. vivid and colored. Yeah. And like, is it like that? Is kind that of like that. About? Yeah. It's just okay. like you can see that materials are now actually looking like what they're supposed to be. They're not just like uh, yeah. painted, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm trying to exactly remember what I was getting at with PPR. Or, uh, just that PPR was... This was when PBR was hitting and kind of there were programs that were coming out that I was learning that Rockwell didn't know about because they were still doing kind of a legacy style of texture work. Um, and so kind of helping helping move that pipeline to them and teaching them while they're teaching me. So symbiotic yet again, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm graduating at that time and I'm like, I kind of just want to get hired on here. Like they're treating me well. I'm doing great. The pay's awesome, and I love my boss. Like, there's nothing wrong with this job. Yeah. Um, but they they obviously were talking with the University of Utah a lot, and keeping me as a student was cheaper for them and probably better at the time. So they're, they're kind of like, you should do master's program, right? So I, I go into the master's program, and I was kind of considering it anyways, and my teacher was pushing me to do it anyways. Mm. Um, and it was fun. It was a lot of fun to jump into the master's program, and... The thing about the use master's as opposed to its undergrad is the master's is put together. It, yeah. At the time, it was number one or three, or it's always within like the top ten schools for game development. Really? Yeah. So Damn. the master's is legit up there. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I start jumping up there, and people from all over the place are in this master's. There's people from China. There's people from India. There's... Uh, people from like Europe, like there's a Norwegian guy who's super tall and awesome. Um, <laughs> but some people had some experience with games. Some people were traditional, like art backgrounds. Like they just draw, like they don't know anything about games. Yeah. Some people are completely away from games. They've been studying like communications and they're here to learn how to be a producer for video games. Right. Uh, you had writers too. In fact, one of the writers that I went to my master's program with, I'll brag about her cause she just got on, Forbes 30 under 30. That's awesome. Uh, she is the lead writer for Ratchet and Clank, the new one right now, which is rad. Like That's I never so would have cool. thought that we would be in a class together and go through the same cohort. Uh, cohort being basically the year that you go through the program. Mm. That group yeah. of 70 people are like your cohort, right? That's cool. Uh, and you all, you do everything together basically as a group. So you take essentially the same classes, but you specify. So the, the tracks are producer, uh, artist, tech artist, and engineer. I went tech art route because uh, I'd already been doing a lot of art and I wanted to see what the tech art route was. And Ryan, my professor, was really pushing me to go there because he said it'll open up a lot of doors for you, which yeah. it does. Tech art is insane and it's huge and there's so many things you can do with it. Um, but yeah, so as a as a group, you, you go through this master's program and you, you're just doing uh, games every two weeks. They're called rapid prototypes. They give you a prompt. You make a game in two weeks with this team of about 10 people. And you're doing this for a whole semester. And so you're just getting a lot of like, uh, what works, what doesn't, like, uh, how do we be creative? How do we make games? Mm -hmm. uh, none of this had to be published. It just had, we just had to have a final product, yeah. essentially. Um, 
and then we're taking game design classes and then we're specializing in our field. So in tech art, I was doing some motion capture and rigging and uh, different tech art things, VFX. Um, and we moved into the next semester where we started our thesis project, which was now you have a year and a half to make a legit game. It was a lot like Capstone, but we actually know what the hell we're doing now a lot yeah. more. You know, like we just made so many prototypes that we're like, oh, we've made a game from start to end now, kind of. Yeah. Like we, we'll be better at this. And we split off all into teams. Uh, and yeah, the goal is just to make something by the end of your program. Uh, so we, we started working on this twin stick shooter called uh, Or. Uh, oh, is that I I remember I remember you posted it on Facebook. Yeah. And it was like it, it reminded me of like um what's that game? It's a zombie game. You're running around, mm-hmm. the screen is just like that. Oh, I guess it's like Gauntlet, you're playing Gauntlet. Like Gauntlet. Yeah, it's Gauntlet. like Gauntlet with guns. Uh yeah. Another one uh the name's escaping me. Um but yeah, it's a, it's just a twin stick shooter. You're killing Hunter zombies. the Reckoning. That's what I'm sure. Head. Yeah, yeah. A lot of those. Uh, you're fighting like Starcraft looking Zerg bugs. <laughs> yeah. Things. yeah, it's fun. It's free on Steam still today. Uh, that's, that's there's badass. some cool parts. There's a lot of UI problems. <laughs> there's a lot we could still learn and polish on it. Um, but yeah, I learned a lot on that while I was still doing Rockwell. Uh, and I that was the time that like. You know, we're going to GDC, Game Developer Conference, which is in San Francisco every year. Uh, and we're starting to get more serious about looking at real professional jobs, you know, mm. uh, getting into the industry. So flying out to GDC, talking to people, uh, going to parties. I went to the Polycount party. I was talking about the Polycount forums earlier. Mm-hmm. I went to the, the party where the guy who owned Polycount was there. Uh, that was awesome. Okay. Uh, I met people that worked on Marmoset Toolbag. Uh, which is a render software that's really good. Uh, I went to the Epic Party, Epic Games, had mm-hmm. a party with an open bar, and it was awesome. <laughs> and there was some developer from Spec Ops The Line there. I think he was like a lead engineer or something that one of the student or one of the teachers in EAE knew and introduced us to him. So that was cool, just meeting some like high end people, um, and just like taking it all in and like learning about stuff uh, and seeing that like. You know, it's that, like, games are this huge world that's, like, nobody knows everything, but actually it's this crazy tiny world where once you're in games for long enough, you know people almost everywhere. Like, I know a lot of people all over the yeah. place now. Um, yeah, so that was that was just awesome, kind of learning, learning more about the industry there and coming back and taking that knowledge and trying to be like, well, do I stick with Rockwell? Do I try to go to games? Like, what? Yeah. What do I do? Rockwell's so comfortable. Um, but it wasn't gaming. That's, that's Rockwell wasn't gaming. It was simulation. And then by that exactly. time, where you were like, "Oh, I want to do. I wanted to get into gaming now." Like, I mean, I did, but like, I was still in the master's program. I was still <laughs> working on my game, and I think yeah. that was a big thing. It's like I felt, I felt good at Rockwell because I was still making a game in my free time, um, and, but regardless, I still kind of took it seriously. I started putting together like a LinkedIn and like really kind of marketing myself and yeah. uh, art station became this thing where uh, as an artist, you need a portfolio. And so most people have like their portfolio website. Well, art station, which is a, a website kind of created a, a system of letting your art station become your portfolio. Mm-hmm. And so I did that and it's still basically my portfolio to this day. So I put together my art station uh, and I had this LinkedIn that looked really nice and they were linked together. Um, 
And then the I got an email from a guy. Well, he he had, he had actually talked to the U first, and they're they were ex EA employees. So EA Salt Lake Easel, uh, they were working on the Sims here. They were doing games. Uh, they were downtown, but for whatever reason, EA Salt Lake closed down here. Yeah. Uh, a lot of those guys went over to the Void, which does uh, like. AR, VR games. I don't know if you've played any of that. They did, like, Ghostbusters, and they made a really mm. cool Star Wars game. Yeah. Um, cool guys. They're working on all this fun stuff, but uh, some of them left the void, and they're kind of starting up a new studio that was indie, indie kind of double-A in that area. It was, like, it was like veteran people starting a small studio, essentially, right? No. And they're looking for fresh blood. They're, they're just, like, going through all this resources to see like where do we get new people they looked at the u they basically just like looked at all of our faces on the u because if you're in a cohort you can search by cohorts and see everyone's faces and a little Mm -hmm. bit about them so they saw my linkedin they saw me and one other guy and i got stalked by this guy and he was like he sent me a message basically being like hey you sounded exactly like me when i was like your age uh like i want to interview you like and just see see who you are basically so i was like interesting like I'm already getting some chatter that Rockwell might be hiring me after college, but I'll come interview with you anyways. Um, And we met at some coffee shop and they just start talking to us about, I think they were working on Jurassic VR for Dave from Busters at the time. Mm -hmm. And they were considering bringing us on for there, but they're still finding out like financing and how they like could pay for it all and getting their feet, you know, getting themselves on their feet. Um, And so we had an awesome interview. They're like, we'll let you guys know if anything happens, but if it does, like you guys are awesome, we would hire you basically. So you were up for that. You're like, yeah, yeah, maybe like, I was like, those guys are really cool. Maybe we'll see what happens. They're gone. I don't hear anything from them for a long time. Right. So I finally get a phone call from, uh, Iowa, I believe. Yes. And I was like, Iowa, who's calling me from Iowa? Like the only thing... Slipknot? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, no, it was uh, Cedar Rapids, which is, I believe, a place in Iowa. I hope I'm not fucking that up. Um, Cedar Rapids? I feel yeah. like that's like it's, South Dakota or something there's, like that. I don't know. It's, it's I don't know. I'm pretty sure know. it's Iowa. But it's uh, there's two major companies that work there. It's the Quaker Oats uh, oh, fucking yeah. headquarters. <laughs> Or it's Rockwell Collins headquarters. Okay. So, like, if you live in Cedar Rapids, you basically uh, work for one of those two. So, they, okay. I see that. I was like, I wonder if this is Rockwell. So, I answer it. They are offering me a job, like, right then and there. I haven't even graduated yet. Wow. They're like, we're going to send you the paperwork and all this stuff. And it's like, awesome. Well, that's a relief. Like, I have a job the second I leave and I graduate. Like, this is going to be legitimate. Mm-hmm. I see my salary and, like, this is super steady. A lot of the guys that work at Rockwell have been there for, like, 20, 30 years. Like, you could wow. die here, right? Like, this is a retirement thing. Super steady income. Um, yeah, so I'm like, I'm going to take it. Like, I don't have anything else. I did that interview, but who knows if they're going to do anything. Um, around the same time, uh, you had the other big studio in Salt Lake, which was uh, Avalanche Studios, which were under Disney for a while. Uh, so to begin with, Avalanche worked on like Tack and the Power of Juju. I don't know if you've ever played that, but oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah later yeah. on, the Disney kind of owned them, and they worked on Toy Story Four, I believe. Maybe it was three. I might be messing that up. 
but I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, and then they worked on uh, Disney Infinity, which was their big thing. Disney Infinity mm. was huge for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know all of this story, but for whatever reason, Disney let them go. And so there's kind of a scramble to figure out, like, what are we doing next? And yeah. I wasn't a part of Avalanche at this time, so I, I don't want to get too into it. That's kind of their story. Um, but for whatever reason, Warner Brothers picked them up. And it sounds like Warner Brothers worked with them to help finish the last Cars racing game that they were working on, like Cars, the Pixar movie Cars. Yeah. Um, so that's awesome. And then whatever happened, they started... Uh, when I was in my last year of Masters, they started interviewing at the U. And they started interviewing, like, everybody. Oh, wow. Like, it was a huge thing. And I remember them being like, why aren't you interviewing with WB? And I was like, well, I just signed the paperwork with Rockwell. And, like, I don't know, like, it's riskier, like, maybe I will, maybe I won't. It's hard to say. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I I end up not interviewing because I'm like, I already have a job. The steady income is a thing. And, I mean, you also have to get back to my uh, my mentality was, you know, I came from this single mom who didn't have uh, anything above a high school education, raising four kids, and money was always a thing that was like, you you're grateful, like what you have, you know? Yeah. And like, this was steady and this was nice. And I felt like what I was making was good and it was safe, you know, and it's hard to give that up. And so I was like, I think I'm just going to stick with Rockwell and see how things go. Uh, so a lot of my other friends jumped on board and they actually started getting internships, which was awesome. Uh, and then we graduate and we kind of all go separate ways for a little bit. I start working at Rockwell as an employee. Um, and I'm dating, uh, my girlfriend at the time, Sharma, uh, which I'll get into in a little bit, but, uh, so I'm going through there for a long time, just working at Rockwell and it's, it's good. I like it. It's very repetitive. I don't, I'm not in games anymore and I can still kind of feel my soul getting crushed a little bit every day, like missing <laughs> games. Like I still loved what I was doing. Yeah. I was in Maya, like I said. You're, but you're making my, games while you're not on the club. Yeah, and I yeah, and I learned that, like, oh, dang, I do really like making games. Like, holy crap. I hope that wasn't a mistake, but still be grateful what I, for what I have. Um, and then I get hit up by those guys that had interviewed me when I was in my grad program. Really? Like, we're... Oh, the, from, the, from, the, from the VR game. Yeah, from yeah. the VR stuff. So they're like, hey, we want to interview you again if we can. Um, and I was like, okay. So, like, I'm like... I'm going to take a vacation day at work <laughs> yeah. and go interview at this job. Like, oh. How, how long were you working at Rockwell? Three months as an oh, actual, like, like hire. Yeah, work. so I've been an intern there for three and a half years. I'm here for three months, and I get this call, like, trying to poach me. And so I go downtown, and I meet up with these guys, and I'm talking to them, and I seem so legit, and, like, I can tell it's so risky, right? It's super yeah. risky. Um but um, I'm just like, this is really interesting, though. And I, I tell them, like, you seem awesome. This seems awesome. They're like, they told me I'd be working on Star Trek already. They couldn't say much more besides, like, you're going to be working on Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And the last game we put out was Jurassic VR. So, like, I went to Dave and & Buster's and I played it. I was like, I got to see what they're working on, like, before yeah. the interview. I got to do my research. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm not going to show up to this empty-handed and not know what the hell I'm talking about. So, yeah. I go and I do that. Um, and... Did you like it? Yeah, I liked it. It was fun. It no, was. Hey, hey, you don't work for them anymore. You, no. you can be honest. I mean, honestly, <laughs> for 
for the time frame that they did it in and the restrictions that they did it under it was it's pretty cool it's a fun experience for like what six bucks at dave and buster's have you played I'm, i've never been there oh really yeah oh man i should take you i have three games in dave and buster's really? it's a yeah. it's a date yeah so maybe that's what we should do when i when i meet your lady yeah that yeah, would be fun. fun. That'd be way fun. I think we can still go to Dave and Buster's. Uh, I think it's open. Hopefully that machine's open. I know they yeah. sanitize it all the time, but well, COVID, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm like, do I leave this security blanket for uh, this like double A indie studio that's made one game? But these guys are all veterans. Like they worked at EA. They talked about The Sims. Like uh, yeah. the guy worked at Ubisoft on the stick of truth and like oh, yeah. rocksmith you know did you look you saw all their work though i i saw some of their work um but i knew that they were legitimate right yeah. like talking to them and stuff and it was like i was nervous obviously and i was also like i'm i've been doing flight simulation i haven't made like a legitimate game these guys are like professional so i was also underselling myself in a way because in a yeah. way my soul was crushing like i kind of wanted out you know mm. like i but also I was scared. So I took like a week to just meditate on it. And that's literally one of the, like the biggest skills I've learned in life. When I have like a hard decision, like I take a week and I literally just meditate. Like I will sit in the bath for like an hour and just like think of all the different possibilities and yeah. really like get in tune with like, how do I feel about a situation? And if I do that, I tend to make the right decision every time. That's very skillful because yeah. I feel like sometimes a lot of people sit in that and they get anxiety because they're, and I, I get like that too sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Like they're, it's like afraid of there's, it's like Netflix. Yeah. You want to, you don't want to, you don't know what to watch Yeah, because you don't want to get 20 minutes into it and you're like, Oh, this movie sucks, but yeah. I have to finish it. Like, no, you don't. Yeah. Just exactly. go back. Yeah. It, like, for sure. Yeah. I feel out for sure, but, uh, <laughs> Sorry. no, you're fine. I was just going to say you brought up anxiety. It's my only way out of anxiety. So, Oh wow. Um, I like that, that you actually like do something about it mm -hmm. instead of just like just sitting and like dwelling on it. I'll just sit there and my stomach will just hurt and that's the worst too. Dang, or like, I'll yeah. just miss out on the opportunity. Right. And the other thing is my girlfriend was talking to me. This was actually, uh, I can't remember if this is Coheed or Newfound Glory. I was talking, we were at a concert with my, my girlfriend, uh, and she was just saying like, uh, you know, all your friends went out to games and they're all doing really well. Like, do you really want to settle for just like staying at Rockwell? And like, I, I still really liked Rockwell. It's great, but it did kind of push me to be like, oh, maybe I should do more, you know? Mm -hmm. Like sometimes you need that other person to like push you to go further sometimes. Yeah. Like it's so easy to get stuck in a security blanket, mm -hmm. uh, especially as an adult. Um, but also, you know, you don't want to make stupid, rash decisions. So it's, uh, it was a tough one. But uh, I ended up deciding I was going to take it. And I remember like that exit. This, the second I told my manager, she was like, what are they offering you for pay? Like, what can we oh, match? Wow. Like, why, why are you doing it? I was like, oh, I mean, it's, I'm going because I'm going to go work on Star Trek, which I knew nothing about Star Trek. Yeah. But I was like... I gotta go watch all the movies. I gotta go watch all this. I gotta go like learn Star Trek in like a week. Yeah. Um, Does the hand thing and everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm a Spock. Whatever Spock is, you know? uh, so yeah, I, I go and I basically 
leave them after three months. And I remember someone being like, I think that's a record. Like, <laughs> I don't think anyone's left after three months. This is a, a place where people have been here for like 20 to 30 years. And I, yeah. I was there for three months and they were looking for fresh blood because people were, because they were older you know, and they wanted to, older. they were almost like replacements. Yeah, exactly. And I had been there for three and a half years and I was liked and hardworking. Mm-hmm. I hit deadlines, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I was just, I had to detach myself. And that's what I chose to do at that point in time. And, uh, and then from there, like, um, the universe had its magnificent, magical ways of introducing me <laughs> to a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And um, I, uh, <clears throat> I met a gal at work. At, uh, I was working at eBay at the time. And so I was big time into strength finders. It's an assessment that I use now, and I'm certified in it. But... It's a tool that it's a personality test and I'm a psychology major as well. So Hmm. like I've always been intrigued with human behavior, personalities, that kind of stuff. And, um, and so I, she, I, her and I kind of came together because we were on a committee for employee development and we had the same common interest and she had a lot of knowledge because she was actually a certified trainer in that assessment because she worked at discover card prior to that. And got some training. So I'm like, oh, teach me all that training. Yes. So we became friends. And after one of the meetings, she looked at me and she said, Jeremy, I just have to tell you something. And I'm like, okay. And she goes, I just want to tell you that your aura is absolutely just so beautiful and so welcoming and so warm. I started smelling myself saying my odor? What? I, I have to loan. I've never been told that I smell beautiful before. Like I, I never heard the word aura and I thought she said odor. <laughs> and she starts laughing. And she goes, no, your aura. I'm like, what the hell is an aura? And she says, we all have, we're energy beings. And we have all this energy force and field that's around us. And I'm like, I don't know where mine's at. I don't see anything. And she goes, well, you may not see them, but I do. And, and she goes, it's beautiful. It's so big. It's bright. It's warming. And, and you're just like, it's like a big hug and, 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 you know, just comforting. And, Growing up, I always had intuition. I always could feel other people's emotions. Like, I mm-hmm. I just knew things before I knew them, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I had no, I never, no one to talk to about that stuff. I had no idea about any of this other side of spirituality, as it's called today. Yeah. It was either religion or nothing, right? And so, and now she started talking about auras, and I'm like, what the hell? While she said that, something inside of me leapt. Really? Yeah, my mm. heart jumped, and I'm like, oh, that feels a little bit interesting. So then I trusted that feeling and said, maybe I should explore this a little bit more. Mm. And so I I, um, I, started looking into it more. And then from there, like I, she, she would come and talk to me and say things to me that I'm like, you're so weird, but super uncomfortable because she was saying shit that I was going on inside of me and I knew it was true, but I didn't, like, when you're not in that mindset, you don't want to be exposed. Like, yeah. get out of my business, lady, <laughs> you know? But uh, but she kept coming at me and then, and then one day she goes, Jeremy, she goes, uh, have you ever gone to a reader? And I'm like, what, like the library or what are you talking about? <laughs> Stop, no way. I seriously, I, yeah. I have no idea what that, like, what that is. And she's oh, like, no. Weird. Yeah. She's like, no, like a spirit reader. I'm like, what the hell's a spirit reader? Like, first aura. 
now, spirit reader, who are you and what is happening right now? She goes, well, you might, you know, you'll understand it more as a psychic. Have you ever been a psychic? Now I'm like, you are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, lady. Like, at this point in time, I, I don't even know what to think right now. But then there's that feeling again. Mm. Right? My heart. Yes. And I'm like, son of a... So now I'm like, fine. Because she was saying, you really should go. You really should go. You really should go. Fine, give me the lady's number. Right? So she gives me the number. I spent the next two days searching and researching how people scam people by being being psychic and mm-hmm. how they trick you and how they get to find information out. Like, I had a... I went into that first <laughs> meeting like, I, you are not going to get a, nothing out of me. Yeah. So I show up and I and I sit there and she's like, oh, you know, so nice to meet you. She's being nice. And I'm like, like this, trying to be the still vault with my bisque poker face on my face. <laughs> and uh, she's like, do you have any specific questions or you just want me to tell you about you? And, and I have my arms folded, you know, like I'm a pouting little kid in a serious face. Because they say they watch your facial expressions. They'll ask you open-ended questions. And then yeah. whatever route you go, that's where they'll follow. So <laughs> oh, my there, gosh. So I sat there and folded my arms. Had my poker face on my face and said, tell me about me. And I shut up and I didn't make any expression for the next 40 minutes. <laughs> and so she, you know, she's like, okay. So then sweet, poor lady, she starts going through and she gets connected and in tune. And then she starts telling me stuff. And it's like, okay, first, the, okay, the, I mean, that's kind of surface level stuff. Then she all of a sudden goes into shit about my childhood that I hadn't shared with anybody. And I was like, I literally was like, there's no way that some random stranger could pick any of that out. And so then in my mind, I'm like, okay, there's something to this. Hmm. So I'm like, oh, great. Here we go. Now I'm going to be a freaking cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs too, and start getting into this bullshit. Did you unfold your arms by that point? Yeah, because I had to leave. So I left there and I was still surprised, but I wasn't fully drinking the Kool-Aid, right? At least, at least, at least I'm holding the cup of Kool-Aid yeah. at that point in time, but I'm not. I'm like, I'm not. I'm not there yet. I'm fighting. I'm kicking and screaming. Sure enough, I go back to work and literally within three days after that reading, I'm sitting there and I walk into a team meeting and one of the, there's this girl that was on my team and she was super eccentric. She would wear like knee-high spiked leather boots, rainbow-colored hair, would dress very different and unique, like Punky Bruce or a punk rock doll or whatever. And uh, and so she's over there sharing about how she went to this new psychic lady and it was the most amazing experience she ever had. And I'm over there like, inside I'm sitting there saying, are you serious right now? Like, this is really <laughs> happening. And I get that feeling of, like, listen and pay attention. And afterwards, I go and ask her, say, hey, can I get that lady's number? Because apparently, I think I'm supposed to call and talk to that lady. <laughs> right? So I'm little by little just inching towards this different realm mm-hmm. of understanding and enlightenment. And um, <clears throat> so I make an appointment. Her name is Barb. And um, just a beautiful, beautiful soul. I didn't know that at the time, but I, I call to make an appointment. She says, or she texts me back. She says, yeah, come at this time. I'm in the middle of the day driving down from Draper to Salt Lake City downtown. And I'm like, what the hell am I doing? 
what is happening to me? Like, am I in the Twilight Zone? This stuff is just too weird. It's out there. <laughs> like, I can't tell anybody I'm going what I'm going to go do right now. Like, it was just so foreign to me. Yeah. I get there, and like it's a high-rise apartment i'm still just questioning like every second what am i doing what am i doing what am i doing but i have like this internal push and nudge to go yeah so i get out of my car i walk across the street the sweet old the older lady comes out has this welcoming smile I'm like okay she's at least not a serial killer <laughs> or at least will chop me up in little pieces and so one of <laughs> one of two things but had a great energy we walk up walk up to her apartment uh the second she closes the door um she starts to ball. And my body felt like I was lit on fire. Dang. And uh, she says, uh, Jeremy, she goes, I have to tell you something. She says, before anything happens, you need to know that this room is filled with an unsurmountable amount of love for you. And your angels are so happy that you're here today. By now, I mean, I'm emotional now. And this happened over 10 years ago. Yeah. By now, I am on the floor weeping like a kid. <laughs> we haven't even said hello like yet. And mm-hmm. this is the first experience. My session was supposed to be an hour or 15-minute session. Uh, we ended up talking that day for three and a half hours. Wow. Um, she awoke all of my senses. Uh, she I, At that point in time, we talked about visions, things that I had experienced, things that I, that I didn't tell anybody with. Um, she helped me connect to my guides, my angels. Um my third eye was open to the point where all of a sudden at that time also at the same time I was in this mode of trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up because I'd been in corporate America for so long and I was like this is not it like there's things and elements that I love about being a people leader or whatever but this isn't it Mm -hmm. what is it and just recently before that about a month prior to this meeting um, at eBay, we had a, a, a professional coach by the name of Alan Fine come to our company and give us a leadership talk. I was a kid in the candy store. And uh, like just everything he said, his approach, the things he was talking about, man, I was just eating it up like crazy. And he said, uh, and so then afterwards, you know, we're standing in line to get his book and then he was going to sign it for us. Um, Afterwards, like I was, I, I asked him, I said, so who is this guy? Some colleagues of mine, I said, who is this guy? I never heard of him before. And he, they were like, oh, he's a professional coach. And I'm like, what sport does he coach? Mm-hmm. And they looked at me like, what are you talking about? Like, no, he's a professional coach. Now looking back at them the same way they looked at me. And I'm like, what do you mean a professional coach? What's, what's a professional coach? I had only correlated coach, the title coach, to sports my entire life up to that point. Yeah. I had no idea. Like Tony Robbins, Zig Ziglar, Les Brown. I didn't know those guys were considered coaches. I thought they're they're motivational speakers. Yeah. So I never had, had connected the dots of coach with that type of field. 
And all of a sudden, the light bulb turned on for me. And so I was looking into coaching certification programs at the time that all this other stuff was happening. And so when I went and talked to her, she she basically said, hey, you, you're discovering and seeing, finding your passion. And that program that you're looking at, that you're looking at starting in January, is the mm. thing that's going to catapult you. I'm like... How in the hell did you just know that? I didn't tell anybody, not my wife, <laughs> not not anybody. Literally, I was literally by myself on my computer looking up that information and I'm sitting there, how do I make that work to start this time? Can I do that? Mm. And so for me, that was that was the moment of the actual awakening. It started years prior when I was on my 30th yes. birthday. But when I actually, you know, the process of growing through and healing. And then from there... Um, I just started having experiences after experiences after experiences that helped me to get to where I'm at today. Um, and knowing that, that my, my sole purpose is to help people um, from all walks of life, help people that have experienced all different kinds of trauma to heal and to wake up to the magnificence and the magic that lies within themselves. And to see them as their true essence as a being that has a gift and helping them connect with that. And then how can they become a person of value to share that gift with the world? Mm -hmm. Steve Harvey says the two most magnificent works that we do in our life is first is to discover what our gift is. He correlates to God and he's a religious person. And he says, you know, God gives gave every one of us a gift. It's important that we learn what the gift is. This is the second most magnificent work is to figure out how to give that gift to the world. Wow. And for me, that's what my passion and my sole purpose is, is to help others to see that. That was a lot. That's an amazing story. Your story reminds me of, um, it's funny, I just finished this book on Monday. It's called The Alchemist. Oh, I, that's my favorite, favorite book. It's a... Uh, yeah, do you want to share what it's about really quick? Uh, if you haven't read The Alchemist, people, you need to go read it. Mm-hmm. It's on one of the, the all-time best books of, of history of the world. It's really good. Um, so The Alchemist, it's, it's a story of a young shepherd. And it really, the, the essence of the book comes down to being able to, how did they put it in the book? What was it? To find your own personal legend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because at first he wants to be like his parents want him to be a priest, or I think. Yeah, and then he's like, "No, I want to go and like travel go, the world." Travel the world. And he's like, "Well," and it's funny because there was his his dad was like, "Here's thirty gold pieces. Like, go buy your sheep, and go do you do your thing," which I thought was super cool. But <laughs> I was like, "Dang, just just like that, huh?" And so you know, throughout the through the book, he like travels and like. He has, he, um, what is it? He has omens. Yeah. Which are, I, I took as like, like signs, right? They are yep. signs, you yep. know? And like, throughout the book though, he, like there's, he meets people that like everyone has a purpose, a purpose or a gift, right? And they all want to do something, but then they get caught up with life or just like, they just get stuck with where they're at and they just stop. Uh, not trying to fill their personal legend. And he just, you know, they doesn't specifically say, oh, this person is not doing that. It just, it's just a story. Yeah, it's a story. And Beautiful story. Yes, very good, very good. And so, um, 
sorry, I just took it took it away from you, but no, um, <laughs> that's what ha- yeah he he then he has like a a premonition a vision of like he's supposed to go to Egypt to go look at the pyramids and it the story is just basically him going to Egypt. Yeah. And how, you know, like I said, just, he just encounters people that like stop pursuing their 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 purpose and I know there's other people that are on their own journeys and he's like still doing everything he can to see the signs and to go to Egypt. And even though there's like times where he's scared and he like has no idea what to do like I thought it was amazing when he was like talks to like talks to the sun uh-huh. and talks to the wind and like all that stuff. It's kind of it's so yeah. it's like it's such a beautiful story, yeah. and so that's what your story reminds me of. And I well, felt like that. You. I feel that's like now huge... I'm making that connection because from there was like sign after sign after sign after sign after sign. And many moments of me saying, what the hell's going on? Yeah. And like, I know exactly what you're talking about. Exactly the moment when you're like walking up to the lady's like apartment, like your brain is thinking something else, but your body is still moving. Yeah. And so you're questioning like every, what is going on what's happening, but like, and you're following your intuition and there's been moments or, you know, omens and omens and omens, really good, really good ones that, have been leading you up till now and you know where you're still i feel like you're still in the process of finding your way to the pyramids oh definitely i'm i'm waiting for the next omen so (laughs) yeah thank you for that uh, reminder no that's thank you honestly that is a, a huge compliment because i love that book and that book helped me Mm -hmm. to gain hope uh helped me and maybe it is that relationship or that relation of my path and my life versus this. And I could see the similarities in the mm-hmm. two stories. And, um, and yeah, and there are, there's plenty of moments where he was like ready to give up that it seemed like the whole world was against him. And, uh, but he just, then all of a sudden a sign there was, there was a moment where, you know, where he was working at the glass company and he was working there to make money to go back home and buy a sheep. Yeah. To go back to the old life. And all of a sudden, a moment and an omen, right, mm-hmm. reminded him of it. And he says, okay, I can't give up on this dream. And and I do, I have a very vivid dream and, and a pursuit that I'm pursuing currently mm-hmm. that's very much like that. Yeah. I feel that, man. I feel like that's why I was supposed to read that book. I just felt, like, drawn to it. So, this there we go. You're the shepherd. Oh, I'm the shepherd. I'll take Dude, that. That's right. I'll leave my personal legend. Yes. <laughs> yes. So if you haven't read that book, honestly, check it out. The Alchemist. I'm sure like it's free on Audible when you first sign up. But uh, yeah, it's a really good book. But It's one a, of the best out there. Yeah. Interesting story about that. Yeah. And I'll relate that to something in modern times. Nobody acclaimed that book as a good book for over 30 years. Really? Paulo Coelho wrote it. It was considered a flop. It took him 30 years for someone to finally recognize the value of it. And all of a sudden from there, it spread like wildfire. And now today, when you look at the list of the most read or most valuable books or most popular books in history, mm-hmm. in history, history, it's up there in the top, I don't know, 20 or something like that. So it's up there. Now, think about in modern day, think about the explosion of Harry Potter. Yeah. 
right? What that book did and her story, which was magnificent, that mm-hmm. she got denied by every, by 11 out of the 12 major, you know, publishing houses or whatever it was. And it was the very last one that finally said, yeah, we'll do this. Wow. And look at the, the empire and the, and the, the movement that that, mm-hmm. that book and that series brought, which there's a lot of spiritual lessons and a lot of wisdom in that, in those books and in those, those yeah. series that's similar to the, the alchemist. Yes. And that's so funny. Cause like, I don't, I personally don't believe like in, in God, but I do find that the Bible does have a lot of, not a lot, a ton of really good lessons. Yep. And that's how I see them as just lessons, yep. you know, like David and Goliath, you know, like, I forgot his name gets eaten by the whale and all that stuff. Noah and the whale, right? Yeah. So I don't really know. My mom would read them to me when I was little and I was like, that's so crazy. How do you get eaten by a whale? You know? <laughs> and so, you know, I think there's just a, for me personally, at least there's a lot of good lessons in, in, in that book. But, um, there's another thing that you did touch on that you like, you're, you're a lot about ego mm-hmm. and like, you really talk a lot about it. Like even at the beginning of the podcast, we talked about, that the first mastermind we talked about ego yeah and you were leading that yeah and um have you ever read lewis howe's book the mask of masculinity no i haven't really yeah. oh my gosh sounds like i need to read that one yeah it talks about like the nine masks that specifically men that they wear it's like it's, you know, there's like a money mask a sexual mask you're like an ego like a like you're um like your sports mask like when you like want to just like you're gonna win at all costs competition mask. yes there's like there's there's nine of them and i for sure i'm i'm like getting better at like taking it off and putting it back on yeah um i have the joker mask because when i get uncomfortable i start laughing like does anyone have you seen have you seen the the most recent joker movie yeah you know that scene when he's on the bus yes the bus and he can't like stop laughing yeah i laugh exactly like that and I like, I almost get like kind of freaked out because I know now that I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. And so I just cannot stop laughing. And I remember um, when I was with Haley, w- there was a time when she told me something, like we were having a really serious conversation in the car <laughs> and I just started laughing. And then she already knew at that point and she was like, I just have to let him stop laughing. You know, and so I just laughed and laughed and, and not just like, ah, ha, ha, ha. It was That's like true. straight up laughing, yeah. dude. Like Steve Harvey, like laughing, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And so I stopped laughing and then we continued the conversation and... But yeah, so that's just my mask. Yeah. And I feel like I get that mask because of my ancestors, from my parents. I feel like mainly my dad because I feel like now... I'm like leveling up and so I can understand like even when I came to your house when I first got here I was like you know when you have conversations with people and you feel like you almost like can't have a conversation like it's so superficial like you don't even want to have it yeah and it sounds so pointless and so that's how I feel with a lot of people that I know and I'm like I don't even know why I'm talking like I feel, anything that I say just will just go right over their head because it's it's not even about talking anymore. It's more about like emotional. So wait, when you came here today, you did not want to talk to me? No, I Real did. Of course. Cool. Of course I did. Of course I did. <laughs> no, I think that, so for me, one of the biggest things when it comes to ego, and 
I won't dive too much into this and, and we can, towards the end of it, I'll kind of, if, you, if you're interested in under, understanding a little bit more of my approach or understanding of ego. Of course. Ego is a, it's a very hard concept to fully grasp when there's a lot of different perspectives of it. There's a lot of different teachings. What made sense to me was uh, I got a book called The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success by Deepak Chopra. Mm-hmm. And in his very first law of uh, pure potentiality, Excuse me. He uh he talked about how ego serves as our social mask. And it and it's and when you think about it, what a mask is there to do? It's it's there to protect. Mm-hmm. And I read that as as a simultaneously as I was going through an addiction recovery program, and in there I had to write a letter to the addict. My whole life, I felt that I was always living a facade and doing things for other people. Right as a young kid, I had to be the child that that my parents approved of, or that was coined and deemed as a good boy. I had to be the basketball player. Well, the basketball player. That was a mask that I wore that because I got approval. Yes, I was accepted in that. I was even I was even not worshipped in like an egotistic way, but but there was a lot of people that really admired the way that I played basketball. Praise. Praise, yes, there. That, that That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> Not worshipped. <laughs> Even when I thought so sometimes. Yeah. But that was, that was literally my own ego. So, yeah. so um, you know, so ego for me was was a turning point to help me understand that that's not really who I am. Mm-hmm. Underneath all that shit is who I really am. Yes. But in order to take something off or to release something, you have to understand what it is. And so there's four characteristics that make up what our ego is, but our ego is not who we are. It came into our life as a protective mechanism that helped us to deal with something that was very traumatic and difficult that our innocent little brains and souls and hearts could not deal with. Mm. So it's easier to cover it up and mask it up to be the joker. Yes. To laugh, to 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 be the the basketball player rather than being like this insecure uh, afraid, innocent being that doesn't know who they are yet. So, so yeah, ego. Yeah. We can get it. Like I said, I won't go too much into talk because that'll be a whole other <laughs> yeah, hour long conversation. But uh, I do like the um, how in Japan or the Japanese culture, they say like they, everybody has three masks. You heard of that? Mm-mm. Like everybody has the mask that they show their friends, the mask that they show their family. And the mask that they show themselves. And like it gets like worse, you know, as you take them off. So your your friend's one is like happy. And then the family one's like mediocre. And your last one is sad because you have to put on all those masks to be yourself. But when you're, when you're yourself by yourself, you're like almost sad. So it's just wild to me. The beauty yeah. of understanding the masks and the symbolism of the mask the beauty in that is to learn how to take all the masks off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how to discover what's underneath. Yes. And to know that, that there's brilliance, there's magnificence, there's there's power, there's so much, there's mm-hmm. the universe. We're all connected. We're all beings, right? There's. I don't care if you're religious or not. The fact of the matter is... I can prove right now to anybody that we are energetic beings. You hold your hands together, what do you feel? You don't touch, but you can feel the heat. Oh, I you do. You can feel the vibration. 
I do feel it. That's if I weird. Were to, if I were to put my hand over yours, you would feel my heat and my vibration. We are mm-hmm. all energy beings. That's wild. So with that, right, we, we need to understand that there's more to us than just what we understand on the surface level, which ties to ego. Yes. Right? So to remove the masks and to fully understand that we are something greater than even what we see. In my book, I use the analogy, and I'm sensing you brought that up. I couldn't, I didn't like mirrors growing up. I couldn't look in them. It was very quick. I just hurry, do what I need to do, and get out. But I couldn't sit there and stare at myself in the mirror because I saw myself as my ego saw and tried to cover it up. I yeah. saw myself as the broken, I saw myself as the unlovable, I saw myself as the unworthy. Right? I saw myself as a monster. So it it took so much work for me to get through understanding what ego is, understanding what my masks are, and to discover my own self to get to a point in my life where I could actually look in the mirror and stare in the mirror and love what I see in the mirror. That's the next wow. level, just to accept yeah. what you see, but then to actually look in the mirror and love what you see. That's something else I feel like. I heard that uh, the longest that you can look at yourself or the average that you can look at yourself and say something kind to yourself or the how was it? You look at yourself in the mirror and the longest you can go without saying something mean to yourself is like is seconds. It's a sad reality. Yeah. That's so crazy. Like, I I have a hard time with, like, commitment. I don't like to say it, but I do. <laughs> and there it is, folks. <laughs> there it is. See, you you got did you see me? Did, did you see that? <laughs> right there, what I just did. Like, I was trying to play around, like, like not, like. Let me put my mask on real quick yeah. before I be vulnerable. Like, oh, let's talk about something else. Um, you like pickleball? Just yeah. kidding. <laughs> right? No, but, yeah, I do. I do have commitment issues, and it bothers me, and, like, I know there's a bunch of shadow work that I need to be doing, and that's why I did want to ask you too if you know any like shadow work, like books or anything like that. But like, I mean, you can tell me later. Yeah. But um, I think that's super interesting to me, like your shadow self and everything. That's a whole other thing too. But it it, it is another thing, and I'll I'll say this, and I'll leave it at this. I put it on a post the other day, and I don't know if you saw this, but. Becoming fully authentic, because that's a big that's the big catchphrase now, right? I'm authentic. To become fully authentic doesn't mean to just embrace the positive things about who you are. Mm. Being fully authentic is to embrace all of what you are. Dang, that's powerful. Right? It's not only just the light, it's also the dark. Yes. God is not just in the light, he's also in the dark. Oh. Power is not just in the light, it's also in the dark. So to be fully authentic is to know who you are and who you're not and be completely good with that. That's authenticity. That's wild, dude. It's like I feel like it's so simple, but <laughs> we can't. 
understand, you know? I don't know. It's I feel like I'm reading this book and it says like words are like for some reason we believe words more than our feelings. And like words are like the last thing that we should believe. When you should believe your like intuition. When you should believe your feelings, how you feel about things. So Yeah. That's that's just wild to me. This world is beautiful. It's, there's a, so many things to it. Absolutely. But, Jeremy, I do have a couple more questions for you, man. Okay. Um Real quick, do you want to share your social media where where people can find you? Yeah, so you can find me. Um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. It's Coach Jeremy Martin. Uh, Jeremy is spelled different, and Martin is spelled the way it should be, but most people pronounce it as Martin. <laughs> uh, I will tell you that the origins of the name is from Spain, and the proper pronunciation is Martin. So enough about that, but Coach Jeremy, so J-E-R-A-M-I-E. And then Martinez, M-A-R-T-I-N. Uh, you can visit uh, my stuff on my website, which is www.coachjeremymartin.com. Uh, on Facebook, I'm Coach Jeremy Martin. On Instagram, I'm Coach Jeremy Martin. And I'm still growing up and learning the big wide world of social media. So soon I'll hopefully have Twitter and what's the TikTok and some other things. So, But for now, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. I like it. And it's all of that, all of his information is going to be in the show notes as well. So make sure you check that out. Follow him. And I have three questions. Like I said, uh, what do you have going on right now? Uh, right now, uh, just uh, I guess what you're alluding to is I'm, I'm working on expanding a little bit more of my coaching practices, uh, getting, uh, getting set for the COVID chaos to finally be over so I can get back out and do some uh, workshops and, and public speaking events. Uh, I will have some local workshops. So if you are in Utah and interested in coming to one of my workshops and, and doing some ego work, some self-discovery work and some personal branding, um, check out my website for some dates on that. Yes. And then, uh, and, and so then, and then, yeah, also if you're interested, I do have a podcast as well. It just um, launched, just came out, just came out. Yep. I launched the first two episodes this week and, uh, and we'll be having those released weekly. So um, if you kind of want to learn a little bit more about what I talk about, check those out as well. Yeah, really powerful stuff. Just checking them out on the way over and really good. I really like it a lot, man. Thank you. It's really Appreciate good. Appreciate that. Um, would your younger self be proud of you or surprised with where you're at and why? Um, I, I think for the life that I've lived, I think my younger self... Uh, would be would be proud and humbled and grateful of the fortitude which is ultimately the reflection of my younger self so <laughs> so uh, I would I would like to think that there would be some pride and some like good god how did you get through some of that stuff <laughs> <laughs> no soccer no, I'm no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah Pe no Pele for sure <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. And I just want to say thank you, Jeremy, so much for being on my podcast. But one last question. Um, what advice would you give to others? Um, I'll leave two quotes with you. The first quote is, the things that lie outside of us and around us are small comparisons to the things that lie within us. And the second thing that I would say is one of the most important and greatest work 
that one can do is to define who they are in a world that is constantly trying to define them in their own perspective. And that's by Waldo Emerson. So uh, my advice is never, ever stop looking and discovering who you are. And when you discover who you are and you, and you discover your gifts, share that with the world, give that to others, and um, you'll always find purpose, happiness, joy, and value in that life. It's beautiful. You heard it here first. Make sure you follow Jeremy. Check out his podcast, his website. Check out his book. Is your book on your website as well? Yeah, my link's there. Or it's also on Amazon. The book is titled Behind the Mask. Let's uh, go. And it's on Amazon. And um, yeah. Just like his podcast. Yep. Yeah. I'm excited, man, for your new episodes and everything. Thank you. Dude, it's awesome. So just make sure you check him out. Follow him. And just remember, if somebody else can do it, so can you. <laughs>